listening to the spiritual exercises. I'm Rachel Amaday. So pleased to be with you all today. Um, I am going to be discussing today a section of scripture that has been on my mind for a long time. And I'm so thrilled that I was reminded of this uh, after studying it. But I would say maybe four or five months ago, I was really looking at the scripture and had some really big realizations about what it was actually saying. And then um, a wonderful teacher that I love to listen to, he's got a channel called The Donkey Speaks. He did a teaching on it, and I thought, this is amazing. He's reminding me of all of these things I was thinking as I was studying this. So I'm going to be referencing some of his teaching. I'd love to direct you to his teaching on this. I think it's very, very good. But this is an important an appropriate topic for our times. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 2 and 3 for the most part today. And so if you want to grab your Bible, we're doing a deep dive into what Paul is saying to the Corinthians here. Um, Like I said, I've been wanting to share some of my discoveries about these chapters for a while. And um, I'm going to also try to give you a link to that other teaching. It's going to be a little bit longer than mine. And he has some fascinating science behind uh, some of Paul's discussion. What we're talking about today is milk and meat. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've probably uh, heard a pastor or a teacher reference, you know, we need to dig into the meat of scripture, you know, or uh, the folks in Corinth were only able to be in the milk of scripture, in the milk of teachings. They were just babies. But have you ever really dug into what that means. And we have some assumptions about what those two terms mean. And I think we're going to break a little bit with those assumptions today and really dig into the true meaning of what Paul is discussing here. So, um, and I just want to start this out by saying, you know, there are bad behaviors that can so easily occur in the church uh, over issues that do not matter. I have dis- I discussed this a few weeks ago. What hills should we be dying on when it comes to teaching and instruction? And what things are just man-made doctrines or, or silly ideas that we keep fighting with each other over and it makes us very immature and, and they're not the right hills to die on? We need to be careful. If we desire to be mature Christians that can graduate to the meat of what God wants to teach us, then we need to be careful to not be caught up in some of the behaviors we're going to see um, in chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But um, now, if if you go and you watch that Donkey Speaks video, you're going to hear him say that 1 Corinthians really was written to us as well, to us as well. You know I don't love to approach Paul that way. I think Paul wrote to other churches, but his writings are for us. We can get a lot out of it. However, I do want to say that what was going on in Corinth and what was going on in these chapters as Paul was writing absolutely relates to what's going on today and where we are at. We are still struggling with some of these same problems. And I do find that interesting. And so I think um, he is well, you know, you can take his meaning there as well, meaning just basically saying what's happening in Corinth can be easily applied, directly applied to where the church is at today. We can glean an incredible message from Paul's writings here. So 
We're going to go back to First Corinthians, or to yeah, First Corinthians two. We're going to read. Um, it says, "We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began." None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. We'll end quote right there. So there, this is so interesting to me. We, we started here, I think, in verse 6. Um, there's a message of wisdom that's for the mature believer, but it's not the wisdom of the world or the rulers of the world. Uh, this wisdom is a mystery that's been hidden it had been hidden for a long time, but God had destined it to be revealed before time even began. Okay. None of the rulers of the age understood it because if they had, they wouldn't have crucified the God. If they wouldn't have crucified the Lord. So God allowed the rulers of the time of Christ to be blinded, to not truly understand what was going on so that the prophecy would be fulfilled, that Christ would be crucified. In fact, um, and yet this, this information, this is a, has been a mystery, right? And yet it's being revealed for those who love the Lord, okay? By the Spirit, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, okay? So this is where he's starting off in chapter 2 here, which I think is interesting. And he's t- telling us there's a deep intimacy that is going to take place for those who love the Lord. Let's continue to read here. Uh, Verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all these things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. End quote there, okay? So, um, again, there, there, th- this is coming from the Spirit of God, this wisdom, okay? And it can only come from God. And it can only come from this place that the world isn't going to understand. And there's only one place, there's only one being where it could come from because no one can search the mind of God. This is going to be deep information, unique information, right? And we're supposed to have that mind. We have the mind of Christ. We should have knowledge that the world has not known or understood. Now, I kind of discussed this in my book regarding this idea of having the mind of Christ. We should be receiving the DNA of our Heavenly Father through the work of Yeshua. Paul says to us time and time and time again, in Christ, this term, in Christ. Well, interesting, in John, we notice that Yeshua says time and time and time again, 
I am in my Father. I am of my Father. I am a part of Him. I'm a carbon copy of Him. Okay, so the pattern here is that Yeshua came out of the cell where the Father is, where the Father resides, had to leave that nucleus and go out into the cell body and go out into it in order to be the RNA to transcribe a perfect message from the DNA of God about who God is and what God's people are like to restore us to what we had lost in the Garden of Eden, to give us the DNA of God that we might have the light and the life that is in Yeshua. And so we are supposed to be in Christ, just as Christ was in the Father. This is kind of the relationship that I describe in the book. Um, So we're supposed to have this really important and really unique information that does not resemble the fallenness of the world. It's the DNA of God. It's what God gave us before the fall. It was destined for us from the beginning that we would be like him in this way. And Yeshua's work is what gets us there. Okay. So, um, now we're going to kind of skip ahead here to, um, chapter three. And let me just get there here so that we can read this together. All right, um, and we're we're just gonna go through these verses. Uh, I, I wanna I wanna kind of just yeah I wanna go verse by verse. There is a lot in here, and then we're gonna get to what is milk and meat. Okay, so let's go through chapter three first. He says, "Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit." but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Here we have some behaviors starting to come out. And labels, oh, I'm of this tribe, I'm of that person, I'm of that denomination. Why do we do this? Why don't we just get into the Bible? You know, we we need good doctrine, but our identity is in Messiah. And all these different denominations, all these different labels claim to have the doctrine. And so we label ourselves according to worldly labels, man-made labels, But our identity is supposed to be in Messiah. It's not supposed to be about these labels. And there is a spiritual maturity that Paul's going to speak to, to getting rid of the labels. I promise you when Yeshua returns, he will not be attributing himself to your denomination. He's not going to come back and say, hey, I'm a Baptist or, hey, I'm a Methodist or, hey, I'm Catholic or, hey, I'm Reformed. This is not what he's going to come back and teach us. This is not. And, you know, so we talk about things like what is religion, right? Religion, your belief system. I think the Bible is above and beyond what we even call religion. The Bible is just the truth. It is life. God calls it teaching and instruction. The Most High, the Father of you, the Father of all, is teaching and instructing you through his word. That's what the Bible is. It's not a religion, It's not going to be filled with man-made doctrinal ideas. It's going to be filled with how to live. It is the greatest how-to book that has ever been written. How to live on the earth as a fallen 
human and how to be restored, right? And how to be given the eternal life that was originally intended for you, okay? We have to get beyond the labels. The labels are a problem and the labels even were a problem, it sounds like, during this time of Paul. So um, if we keep going here, um, you know, he says, let's let's keep going. What, what after all is, we're in verse 5 here, chapter 3, verse 5. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to to their own labor, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Okay, end quote there for a moment. So what then is Apollos? What then is Paul, right? He asked these questions. We, in our modern day, might as well say, well, what then is Martin Luther or John Calvin or Joel Osteen, LOL, right? I mean, laugh a little bit at that one. But these are just men. They are not the ones who save. We are all just servants, planting seeds, watering seeds, but we cannot save. You do not save anybody, right? Do not attribute your spiritual identity to any of these people. And Paul even says this, don't even attribute your spiritual identity to Paul. This is troublesome for some people, and I might be hitting some nerves here, but Paul tells us clearly not to make the faith about himself or his words or his work. Unfortunately, in modern Christianity, too many people make their religion about Paul. And suddenly it's a religion, it's an identity based on who Paul was. This is an error. Paul warns against doing this. He's just a person. There is only one who saves. It's Yeshua HaMashiach. And if your identity is not in him and what he was from the beginning, then you are not doing the work of God. You are not rooted in the root. You are rooted in a man. We need to be rooted in Christ, in God. Let's continue to read here. Um, so verse 10, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, we'll talk about that in a second, the day will bring it to light. By the way, day in my translation is capitalized there. Continuing on, it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through flames. Let's end the quote there for a moment here. So there is a reward judgment that takes place. I believe Paul, when he says the day, he's talking about the Bema seat judgment. It's a works-based judgment. And these works, according to Paul, must be based in Christ. Okay, not only are you gonna be based, are you gonna be judged on your works, whether they're good or bad, righteous or unrighteous, but they're going to be judged on whether or not they're rooted 
in Yeshua. You can lead a religious life and do everything right, but if it's not rooted in Yeshua, that stuff, those works are still burned up. This is troubling. This should be um, uh, difficult for us. We should sit down and struggle with this. Is what we're doing based and rooted in Yeshua and his kingdom and his work? Or is it based in man, in mankind's teaching, teachings and mankind's work? Are we trying to please Martin Luther or John Calvin or Joel Osteen, as I said before, or Paul? Or are we looking to be building the kingdom that belongs to Christ. This is everything at this judgment, right? And that day, when it says the day and day is capitalized, this is a an appointed time. This is an appointed day, okay? So, and, and I don't like this verse, to be honest, because um, not only does it call, in, call to attention the fact that your works do get judged. Now, that it's not salvation, right? He says, if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames, <laughs> right? You, you could, you're still going to be saved. If you're at the Bema Seed judgment, um, it is likely you've been resurrected at the first resurrection, which is a good thing. You want to be resurrected at the first resurrection. The, when Yeshua returns before his thousand-year reign, you want to be there for that. That means that you're going to escape the second judgment, the second death. Um, and and I think that there are some you know implications. This is national. These are national judgments, and these are works-based judgments. You know, there's a lot of different ways to understand these the, this time frame, right? And and how things work out. But what I will say is this: whatever day Paul is talking about is a day where works are being brought um, to be judged, and you may have nothing at the end of those flames. You might just barely escape, and it's going to be painful if we aren't rooted in Christ, right? It's going to be the fire will test the quality. This is what the Bible says. The fire will test the quality of each person's work. It, and previously it said, you have to build this stuff on Yeshua. You're not building it on Paul. You're not building it on your favorite teacher. You're not building it on your own ideas. It must be built in Christ, all right? I'm I'm harping on this a little bit because I think that for me at least this is a value this has been valuable to sit and consider and go have I really asked the Lord what He wants me to do with my time with my life with my days or am I just continuing to do what I think I'm supposed to do and what I feel like I want to do and what I think other people are telling me to do and what it seems like Paul was doing or what it seems like whoever is doing or am I going to Christ in His kingdom am I looking at each and every one of the things he's tasked me with in the laws, and then each and every one of the things the Holy Spirit has tasked me with in my day so that I can have some fruit of the Spirit, so I can be producing for his kingdom. Am I really rooting this in Christ? Is it really his? Hmm. I think these are important questions. So um, let's see. Don't you know, we're in verse 16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Oh man, it's just getting worse and worse as we dig through this chapter, right? So yikes, 
um, anyone who comes against the temple of God and the temple of God is his church. God's going to destroy that person. He, he is very serious about this. You know, so Paul states here, God will destroy those who destroy God's church, those who attempt to take it down, cause division, shred it. This is dangerous work to be attempting. We are called to love our brothers and sisters, even those we disagree with, okay? Now, it does get a little hairy, and we'll get into this as we look a little bit into chapters four and five. There are groups of people who call themselves Christians who are not. They are tares. They're planted among us. They're there to cause division. They are there to make things difficult for the people of God. Um, there are entire denominations that worship satanic ideology and drag God's name through the mud. So what do we do with this? We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful. But what we shouldn't be doing is fighting with those who we know are our brothers and sisters, causing division or attempting to tear down now, I, you know, I've discussed in my book that I believe there are churches that do not worship the same God I worship. And we need to be able to call this out and tell the truth about it. And again, we'll get into this in a minute here, but um, I may be able to debate those ideas. I may be able to work to try to bring others into obedient understanding. But hey, this is a moment to watch out and be careful about who you're taking down and what things you're trying to destroy and what denominations you seem to be embattled with and how much pride do you have about your own denomination and your own beliefs. Are you living in pride? Do you really go out and teach dogmatically things that don't have a good foundation in Yeshua's teachings? Listen, this is hard, guys. This is tough. Because there are a lot of denominations, there's a lot of stuff that gets taught in churches that are not rooted in Christ. And I'm talking to both Christians and Messianics on both sides. And we'll talk about this in a second as we get into the meaning of milk and meat. Both sides teach things that are not rooted in Yeshua. And you know what? That causes division. That causes hardship. That causes immaturity. You know, and Paul is kind of coming down on these immature brothers and sisters. And, and here's, here's where he um, kind of gets to, here's where we are in verse 18. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. Now, I think it's interesting the Donkey Speaks points out that at this day and age, when Paul was writing this, there was no such thing as atheism. Everybody believed in a God of some sort. And so who is he talking? What's he talking about? The He catches the wise in their craftiness. Even people who believe in God, who think they're wise, right? They're, they're crafting ideas. They're crafting doctrines in order to get around the meat and the milk, the realities, the truths, right? Let's keep reading here. Verse 19. So for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight as it is written. He catches the wise and their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then no more boasting about human leaders. Da, da, na, na. No more boasting about human leaders. Oof. We struggle with this, don't we? Uh, let's continue. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. Mm. If it's not about Christ, 
There is no point. No point. Um, So Paul seems to be laying out the information here to kind of give them the reason why they're not ready for meat. So what is milk and what is meat? How do we understand what Paul is saying here? Here's where I think people land. Messianics kind of seem to believe that the Torah is the meat, right? That if you just get back to the law, then you're getting the meat. And then Christians believe that the Torah is milk. Oh, and that you don't need it anymore. That was just for when you were a baby. Only babies need it. Now, I have to say, I think both views, in my opinion, are not quite right. And um, I loved hearing another teaching on this because as I was reading this a few months ago, I was like, oh, both sides are getting this wrong. You know, not everybody. There's people on both sides that are getting it right. But a lot of the argumentation I hear on this issue, I think this is wrong, given what Paul is saying here. Let's think about what milk is to a baby. It's nourishment. It's life. It's essential. Um, A mother's milk provides antibodies for a baby to keep them from getting ill. Without those antibodies, that child will become more sickly more easily, right? It's provision. Milk is a necessary foundation. In fact, study after study shows the health of children and adults is oftentimes linked to whether or not they were breastfed, whether they got the right milk when they were growing. So the milk is the beginning essentials, and without it, you can have a lot of issues in the body, right? So I believe that Torah is most definitely milk. Let's start there, messianics. It's the beginning. The laws were given first. They were the essential understanding of the character of God. They were the building blocks. They showed how to have unity between God and his people after the fall. Requirements in order for closeness and relationship. This is the foundational aspect of relationship with the Lord. And It's the foundation that helps us understand everything else that comes up in Scripture. Without the Torah, without the teaching and instruction of Genesis through Deuteronomy, we would never understand what Christ did. We cannot understand the work of Yeshua without it. Remember, Jesus says this at the end of John 5 when he says, If you would have believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not receive Moses, you cannot understand me. You cannot accept me. You cannot know me. You cannot believe in what I'm doing. Jesus says this. You have to believe in the Torah. You have to understand it and know it in in order to understand the work of Christ. Well, that's the foundation, right? That's milk. That's what you get at the beginning. It's the basics. If we don't get the basics right, we're going to have a very hard time getting the deeper things of God right. So, And Paul talks about the hidden deeper things, right? He's saying um, these deeper things of the Torah, this concept of the word made flesh, Yeshua's work reflecting all that is given in the Torah, to understand the why of the Torah, the why of Yeshua, the why is the meat. The deeper things are the meat. You cannot graduate to the meat level of thinking if you have continued to reject the milk, the basics. So, The Torah is literally taken as the basics. You must believe those laws are true, good for teaching and instruction, and the starting place of relationship with God. If you do not have that foundation, if you don't have that milk, you cannot grow to get the why of the Torah, 
the understanding of the deeper things of Yeshua. Why are these God's laws? Why and how are they reflected in the work of Christ? And what is this work that Yeshua did? And how did he fulfill these laws? If you don't understand the laws, how can you understand that? So here's the thing. Messianics think the Torah is is the meat, that you have to get back to the Torah. Torah is Yeshua. So in some roundabout way, I guess that's kind of true. But do you see how it's kind of false? And then the Christians believe that Torah is the milk and it's only for babies and you get rid of it after Yeshua. And do you understand how that is problematic? Then you've skipped over the milk part of the process for every Christian. They never get the milk. And you want to graduate them to the deeper things of Christ without any foundation or information? That's a gigantic mistake. We can't do that right? For Judah to throw away, and then you've got the Jews, right? So for Judah, the Jews, to throw away Messiah is to be incredibly immature in the faith because now you may understand the work of the Torah, but you don't ever understand the why. You never get to graduate to meet. So that's childishness. You stay a child in that mindset. For Israel, for the rest of us to throw out the definition of Messiah by refusing to acknowledge the laws of God, that also is childishness. And it ensures that we cannot accept any of the meat, we can't accept any of the deeper understanding. Because every time we try to get a deep understanding, we realize we're missing the understanding from the Torah in order to get there. You're missing a piece. It just doesn't work. We carry no understanding of the true work of Messiah without that foundation. So true spiritual maturity requires an understanding of the word that became flesh, the laws that were lived out through our Savior that would make us like himself. And to dig into that deeper understanding of those laws, then the why of the whole story, we get to graduate into that, right? Then we get to graduate to the meat, So if you have to go back to the milk, it means you need to revisit the laws of God to understand that your behavior is an indication of your spiritual maturity. And Paul says this, right? If you do not understand how to behave, you are never going to understand the next levels, right? So now if we go into chapters 4 and 5 in 1 Corinthians, we see even more critiques of the bad behavior that was going on in Corinth. And we see an encouragement to keep the Passover with the right type of leaven, right? Or uh, with unleavened bread instead of, you know, the previous leaven. Um, I'll give you an example here. For example, in chapter five, verse nine, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. End quote. Ugh. I mean, I don't know about you, but this is really a tough piece of advice. I'm not sure I know exactly how to apply this properly in our modern day and age, but he is clearly saying, listen, if you want to get to the meat, if you want to become mature, if you want to grow up, you have to stop disregarding the laws of God. You have to stop rejecting the guidelines that God gave his people. I don't like this section. It really speaks to um, 
<laughs> a piece of me that <laughs> parts of me I wish I could go back and undo in my life, right? And I have to go before the Lord and just say, I know you've forgiven me. Um, and I know I don't know how to apply this actually in my life today. But the reality that Paul is talking to here is that this church refused to abide by God's laws and refused to keep their people the Christians accountable, the believers accountable. Now, he says clearly in here, you can't go outside and judge the world. They don't know the Lord. They haven't accepted the covenant. They're not part of the deal. They don't know the laws of God. You you have no business judging them. Why would you even be shocked that they do all of these things? But in your congregation, in your church, you are telling people, you are accepting people in without telling them, listen, you need to go back to the milk. You need to get these things right. You need to straighten out your life before the Lord. You need to know the law of God. And then you'll get to graduate. Then you'll get to grow up, right? And so he encourages in chapters four and five, keeping the feast days, living a sexually pure life, clean and clear, right? Not being greedy, having a clean eye, right? A bright eye, not being an idolater, not putting other things before the Lord and what he requests. He encourages righteous behavior because these are the signs, right? Not lacking, don't be jealous. Don't be divisive. These are signs of mature believers who will be able to graduate beyond just knowing the laws of God, but then to getting into the deep understanding of the why. And he's asking something very difficult from this church. Again, something we don't do anymore. We don't address sin in the Christian church. And we cannot because we continually reject that the milk of God even is necessary. So we have no foundation, no legs to stand on, no right to judge or redirect anyone because we pick and choose which laws we like and we tell God which things we think should still be, you know, we should still be abiding by and which ones we shouldn't be. This makes us spiritually children. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7 says this, And these words which I teach you shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them to your children. Now, why am I bringing up this verse? Well, this is kind of, you know, part of the concept of the Shema. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and strength. You're going to teach the concepts to, you, uh, to your children. We're in Deuteronomy here, by the way. These words are the Torah. It says you're going to put them on your heart. These words will be in your heart. God always intended for his law to be in our hearts. And you shall teach them to your children. Why are we teaching the law to our children? Because the law is for you when you are a child. The law is the beginning. It's the foundation. It's the necessary beginning piece. And without it, you're going to struggle with what the rest of the Bible has to say and teach. And you're going to struggle with the work of Yeshua. The laws of God are for children. They are the beginning, right? It's a tragedy that we don't understand well enough what Paul's really saying here. Because we, be, we become unhealthy adults. We have not had the right nutrients. And therefore, we've gone out and we've taught man-made doctrines based on poor nutrients. And we are unhealthy. And we are infighting and we are jealous and we are sexually immoral. And we are struggling on both sides, whether you're Messianic, whether you're a Christian, whether you're Jewish, we are struggling with the truth and with health. And we're having less and less of an impact culturally and globally because of it. So what do we do with all of this? Does God want us to be even more divisive? Or we, should we start infighting with each other more and yelling at each other about the stuff? I mean, how do we deal with, you know, 
rightly dividing the word, getting the milk foundation down so that we can graduate to the meat with wisdom of God and not the wisdom of the world. We have to root everything we do in Christ, who is love. We have to go back to teaching what the Bible says. Not what Martin Luther says, not what John Calvin says, not what your favorite pastor says, not what you think, you wish things said. You, We've got to just read God's word front to back. What does it say? What does it say? Now, the donkey speaks mentions that in 1 Corinthians 2, 7, it says, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of Elohim. The word used for hidden in that verse is the Greek word apocrypto. It means to hide or conceal or to keep secret. But there's also an implication in the root of that word apocrypto, which actually implies something being divided. There's separation that's taking place. So, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of Elohim. So why, why would it imply division and, and something uh, being torn apart? Well, he, he kind of gives this conjecture, I think he might be right, that perhaps the wise, those who are graduating to the meet, start to understand and experience the deep sadness and difficulty of the all of creation being separated from God. That separation from God's things, that deep longing that God has through the purposeful work of Yeshua to restore all of creation. The next part of that verse, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7, says that Elohim decreed this, Elohim decreed this revelation of the secret things before creation for our glory. So God wants all of creation restored, and he wants us to understand the deep meaning behind his work of restoration, how important it is that he brings all of creation back to himself, that instead of division, that we look forward to unity with God. And God knew this from before time. He knew what he would do to fulfill the Torah. He didn't have to shift his plans in the middle of the Bible. He didn't have to change his laws or confuse us with man-made doctrines. He is revealing his heart to us now, his deep love for creation and the reason, the why of his work. This is extraordinary that we get to dig into the secret hidden things because of what Christ did. But with that, do you understand now why without the milk, without the Torah, without the beginning, you will never understand the deep things Christ did? Do you know most Christians don't seem to understand why Yeshua had to die for us? They don't, they don't reference the covenant. When you ask them the question why he had to die, you'll, Christians almost never represent, uh, talk about the promise made to Abraham that Yeshua had to keep all sides of the covenant that was made. They never reference that. You know, they say, well, sin and death and blah, blah, blah. You know, they kind of have a basic understanding, but they never get into the deeper teachings that the law tells us. The reason why the, the route the law told us had to happen in order for all of this to take place. They don't understand covenant. They don't understand each law that Yeshua filled with meaning. They don't understand the tabernacle or the relationship of the temple to the heart or the body of Christ. And yet they claim to know the wisdom of God and that they know everything about the life-saving work of Yeshua. Do you see the problem here? We barely even understand what happened on the cross because we're still babies. And on the messianic side, 
the obsess with following the laws of God and argue with each other and Christians over how to do that based on man-made ideals and traditions. And yet they forget to notice how Christ is the one who revealed the work of the law and the spirit and the reason for its use. And that we need to be looking to Christ to understand how to work all of that out. And if we are looking to men to understand it instead of Christ, we're missing it. Do you see the problem? We've got some trouble here. And I love that Paul, you know, these words of Paul were given to us because we were going to struggle with this as well as the church in Corinth. Guys, we have to understand the milk before we can graduate to the meat. And the milk is the foundational understanding, the beginning. It's the beginning piece. All right. This is so important. It's the foundation of everything. Now, I love how easy this is when you just, again, if you just read what the Bible says, then you don't get confused. You don't get in all this mess of these man-made doctrines that we've come about to. You go, oh, Paul is telling them that their behavior is wrong, that they have yet to really understand the laws of God. And so you got to go back and get those laws down and understand them. And then you're going to get the revelation of all the things that Yeshua fulfilled. You're going to get deeper meaning. You're going to get the mystery. You're going to really start to understand and by the way, all of these behaviors, all of this work must be rooted in Yeshua because he's the one from the beginning who gave it to begin with. He's the only one that could do this work and he's the only one that can save. And so without him and his work, none of the understanding is, is meaningful and none of your works are meaningful. And so he is the root of everything. Guys, this is so good isn't it? This is, this is so good. And it's exactly what you want it to be. It's real. It's meaningful. It's purposeful. It's deep. It's, it's complete from Genesis to Revelation. There's no division. There's no problems. There's no issues. It's God's and he has worked it out perfectly. And you don't have to go doing mental gymnastics to understand which laws of God he's, you know, we need to understand and which things are still in place and which things matter, which things don't. God has said that his work would be deep and meaningful from the beginning and all of it would be good to understand and all of it would reveal the work of Yeshua. It's good stuff. You really, I mean, hey, once again, we get to prove that the Bible could only have been written by the God, not just a God, the God, the ultimate creator. And so I hope this has been as good and interesting to you as it, as it has been for me. I'm so glad that I got this reminder. Thank you to The Donkey Speaks for doing his recent teaching on it. It was such a good reminder to some of the things God was revealing to me. And I have to say this too. I've just been noticing that the people of God seem to be all on the same page right now. The, the people I know in my work and my life that are really believers, we're all talking about a lot of these same things. And these same chapters and verses are coming to mind for teachers and people all over the place. I find that interesting that the body of Christ is receiving the information of the Holy Spirit at the same times, in the same ways, in the same places, with the same convictions, because these are the messages that God is trying to teach his church and his people right now. And the cool thing about it is it's not just through one person. 
It is through the entire body, the church, your everyday average average person attending, whether you have a platform online or whether you're just in your regular congregation, I bet you're having some of these questions. I bet you're thinking, how do I what do I need to know? How do I need to, you know, be reading my Bible? What should we be focused on? It's interesting. People are coming to the same conclusions right now. Here are the issues the church in the West is having. Here are the problems. We're not teaching sin because we don't abide by God's law anymore. We decided to throw it out. Now we're realizing how much we needed it. We're trying to return to it, but we don't know how to return. You know, these are the issues of the day. And so it is no surprise to me that so many of us are on the same page. I hope this teaching has blessed you. If you have questions, needs, concerns, or prayers please feel free to reach out to me. I will be back next week, hopefully, with some interviews and um, some other just uh, great, you know, fun uh, discussions for you. And um, may you have many blessings as you prepare for your Sabbath tonight and tomorrow. Uh, Again, till next time.